This is Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, D.C. Lundberg. Is it really only Tuesday? Good grief. Anyways, thank you, JM, for kicking off yet another episode of Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to Locked On Mariners on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners podcast or the other programs here on Tloppin. Follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners and follow me on Twitter at DC underscore Lundberg, L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G for those scoring at home. Today we're going to look at the 1999 Seattle Mariners. To say that 1998 was a bit of a frustrating season is akin to saying that Jesus Montero had a slight attitude problem. It was a season marred by inconsistent play, injuries, and contract-related distractions. That's not to say that the season didn't have some bright spots, though. Ken Griffey Jr. hit 56 home runs for the second consecutive year and was in pursuit of Roger Maris's single-season home run record throughout much of the season. And Alex Rodriguez wound up having a 40-40 season, which I somehow completely failed to mention on last night's show. I have two boxes of A-Rod's 40-40 crunch. How could I forget that? And yet, somehow, I did. Anyways, going into 1999, the starting lineup was exactly the same aside from left field where the revolving door continued. The Mariners signed both John Mabry and Butch Husky to split time in left field and also to relieve Jay Buhner every once in a while in right field. Both players were also capable of playing first base and third base, although Husky was not the most mobile of infielders. Backup catcher John Marzano, who had been with the club since 1996, left as a free agent and the M's acquired left-handed hitting Tom Lampkin as its new reserve catcher. Lampkin had a reputation as a capable bat and decent receiver. The pitching staff, on the other hand, was almost completely renovated. The only returning starters were Jeff Vissero and Jamie Moyer. Freddie Garcia, whom the Mariners acquired in the Randy Johnson trade, made the club out of spring training and was inserted into the rotation as the number three starter. He and Moyer wound up being the only mainstays in the rotation. Vissero had a very bad year and wound up being dumped by the team in August. John Halama, also acquired in the Randy Johnson deal, was in and out of the bullpen, as were Paul Abbott, Frankie Rodriguez, and Ken Cloud, who began the year in Tacoma. To shore up the bullpen, Woody Woodward signed former Indians all-star Jose Mesa to be the new closer, once again displaying the club's cheapness. One TV sports reporter called Mesa, quote, a bit of a has-been, end quote. Even at 14 years old, I knew this was a bad move. The rest of the bullpen was the same story as the previous year, just with different names. All in all, the M's used 28 different pitchers. 1999 began in the Kingdom one final time. The M's lost to the Chicago White Sox that day 8-2. Jeff Vissero, the club's new number one starter, pitched six innings, but also gave up six runs on eight hits. He only walked one, however, and struck out three. He was relieved by Brent Hinchliffe. Yes, Brent Hinchliffe making his Major League debut. He pitched the final three innings, giving up two more runs on four hits and a walk. The M's were able to muster only eight hits of their own, but scattered them throughout the course of the ballgame. Both Mariner runs came in the third inning, which was led off by a home run by second baseman Carlos Guillen, the third piece of the Randy Johnson trade. Following an Alex Rodriguez ground out, Ken Griffey Jr. stepped up to the plate and hit his first of 48 home runs he'd hit in 1999. 
The M's went pretty quietly after that and lost the next game as well, 11-3, with Jim Parquet defeating Jamie Moyer. Also in that second game, the Mariners lost Alex Rodriguez to an injury. He'd be out until mid-May. In his stead, the Mariners tried Carlos Guillen at shortstop, but he proved he wasn't quite ready for the show and was sent back to Tacoma. Giomar Guevara started a few games until the Mariners could acquire a veteran to take over short, as Guevara was also clearly not ready for the show. He struggled both offensively and defensively. Through free agency, the Mariners acquired veteran Domingo Cedeno to play shortstop. He also struggled offensively and defensively, and a few weeks later, on April 27th, the Mariners purchased Rafael Bornegal from the Texas Rangers. Guevara was then returned to AAA Tacoma and never appeared in another big league game. Bornegal was fine as a stopgap until Alex Rodriguez could return, and the club kept Bornegal on the roster as a reserve and part-time starter at shortstop, second base, and third base the rest of the season, appearing in a total of 55 games. Cedeno was later traded to the Phillies. Also at the end of April, on the 28th, the Mariners acquired Brian Hunter from the Detroit Tigers. Not the same Brian Hunter who was in a first base platoon with Paul Sorrento in 1996, but speedy outfielder Brian L. Hunter. The M's did not have a true leadoff hitter. Second baseman David Bell had been in that role, but it just wasn't suited for him. Nor was the team happy with the Mabry-Husky tandem in left field. Mabry wasn't hitting as he was capable of, and while Husky was hitting, he was playing poorly on defense and was usually relieved in favor of a defensive replacement late in games that he would start. The Mariners won the final three games of April by scores of 8-6, 22-6, and 11-9. They still finished below 500, however, at 11-12. and 12. Jay Buhner was lost at the very end of the month for about a week and a half. He returned on May 9th, but was lost again on May 18th, this time until after the All-Star break. A few days before Jay went out the the second time Alex Rodriguez came back, making his return from the disabled list on May 14th. The M's played pretty well in May, propelled mostly through the offense. They scored 10 or more runs nine different times and had winning streaks of six and four games while never losing more than three in a row, doing that only once. They went above 500 on May 28th and finished the month at 26 and 24 overall. The Mariners treaded water for much of June. The offense had cooled off a bit and the pitching was as bad as it was all season. One story that Lou Pinella has told involves young pitcher Freddie Garcia who was getting his first taste of big league action. I couldn't find a box score to try to figure out exactly when this happened, but the story goes that Garcia was getting shelled in the kingdom. Lou went out to the mound to give him the hook, but Garcia said, I'm fine, I'm fine. Lou kind of threw up his hands in the air to say, all right, but knowing that Garcia was far from all right. Garcia stayed in the game and continued to get shellacked. Lou had gone into the tunnel, smoked a cigarette, and when a cigarette was done, came back to the mound to get Garcia teaching him a lesson. Even though it cost the team the game, it was an important step in the Chiefs' development. Also going into June, the Kingdom's days were numbered. The final Mariners home game was scheduled for Sunday, June 27th. I've said this on just about every one of these episodes in the yearbook series, but yes, I was at this game as well. I'll get back to that shortly. The team struggled through much of June and were very inconsistent, pitching again being the Achilles heel. They lost three in a row, but immediately followed that with four straight wins, which was followed by four straight losses. 
June 27th rolled around with the team at exactly 500, 37 and 37. Jay Buhner had made it a goal to be able to return in time to play in the final game at the Kingdome, but he unfortunately did not make it. It tore him up to miss it, and the fans missed him as well. That game pitted the M's against the Texas Rangers. Freddie Garcia started for the Mariners facing the Rangers' Aaron Seeley, a local kid who was born in Polsbo and who had signed with the M's after the 99 season. The Rangers got out to an early 2-0 lead against the Chief in the first inning on a Rusty Greer two-run home run. Garcia did not allow another run, however, in five total innings of work. He wasn't exactly sharp, however, as he gave up five hits and walked six. In the bottom of the first, the Mariners answered right back. Brian L. Hunter led off with a single, then stole second base. Alex Rodriguez walked to bring up Ken Griffey Jr. And Jr. being Jr., having a flair for the dramatic, what else would he do but hit a home run into the right field seats? About a dozen or so people to my right and a couple of rows back, no less. This wound up being the final home run hit in the kingdom. The M's would score twice more against Seeley in the third and fourth innings. Edgar Martinez drove in Alex Rodriguez with a double in the third. And David Bell scored on a fielding error by Royce Clayton in the fourth. Speaking of Clayton, he'd end up getting ejected later in the game on a bizarre play. He grounded out to third baseman John Mabry to lead off the sixth. However, he tried to argue that he had fouled the ball off his foot to no avail. His temper got the better of him, as it tended to do from time to time, and the first base umpire tossed him as Macho Man was played over the Kingdom public address system. Rangers manager Johnny Oates, a very underrated big league skipper, came out to try to save his shortstop and wound up getting ejected himself for sticking up for Clayton. It was really fun to watch in person, but honestly, Oates was just doing his job. Remember, the Rangers were in a pennant race, and every game for them counted. The game was pretty quiet until the bottom of the seventh. During Edgar Martinez's final kingdom at bat, the count had gone to one and two, when some drunk imbecile decided that that would be a perfect moment to run onto the field wearing little more than a smile. After being chased by security briefly, he was apprehended and escorted out of the stadium to spend the night in jail. Everyone's concentration had been broken. Edgar was called out on strikes on the very next pitch, which was at least close to the strike zone at best. And Edgar snapped at home plate umpire Brian Onora. Onora wasted no time in tossing Edgar from the ballgame to a cascade of boos from the crowd. The ninth inning came with the score 5-2. to two. Luis Alisea led off for the Rangers, pinch-hitting for John Shave, who had replaced Royce Clayton at shortstop. Jose Mesa had come in to save the ballgame and, of course, walked Alisea. But he was erased in a double play hit by Tom Goodwin in the succeeding at bat. Tom Goodwin was not an easy man to double up. The man could run. Mark McLemore then walked and took second base on defensive indifference. Rusty Greer, who had hit the two-run home run in the first inning to give the Rangers a temporary lead, flew out to Brian L. Hunter in left field to end the ballgame and the Kingdom's tenure as the Mariners' home. Upon catching the final out, Hunter immediately flipped the ball to Ken Griffey Jr., who was also in pursuit of the flyout. 
After the game, there was an on-field presentation of sorts hosted by Dave Niehaus. Current and former Mariner greats gathered on a dais in the outfield and one by one were called up by Mr. Niehaus to talk about their favorite kingdom memories. Some of the highlights were Julio Cruz talking about fielding the final out of Gaylord Perry's 300th win, telling the crowd that Perry had told him to throw the ball on the dry side. Perry was asked the questions, how many jerseys did you go through in that game? To which he replied, nine. Jay Buhner's time speaking was brief. He was asked a question about the kingdom, to which he replied, I only got one thing to say to that. I love you, man. Both senior and junior Griffies were there. Harold Reynolds was there. Dave Valley was there. Edgar Martinez and Lou Pinella were also on the dais talking about their memories, though Lou had to leave before it was his turn to speak. The M's then staged a ceremonial final pitch, which was delivered by David Segui's son, Corey. And let me tell you, Corey, who was six or seven at the time, had an arm. This kid could throw, and probably had a better fastball than many of the M's relief pitchers. After his impressive final pitch, the crowd went home feeling nostalgic. Before we continue, a word from Postmates. If you're the type who starts thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch, then you'll love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant you can think of right to your door. But Postmates just doesn't deliver burgers and sushi. They can actually make your life easier with grocery delivery and whatever you can think of delivery as well. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. So no more trips to the store, no more late night fast food runs. You won't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Just Download the Postmates app for iOS and Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all one word. That's code LOCKEDON. On for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchased for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. We're going to take a pause here and we will pick up where we left off after a quick break. Stay right there. Now back to Locked On Mariners and your host, D.C. Lundberg. Welcome back to Locked On Mariners. Before we resume, a word from Withings. Do you hate stepping on the scale? Maybe it's because you haven't met the right one. Well, a company called Withings produced the world's first smart scale, and they are still the best. In fact, Tom's Guide rated Withings Body Plus the best overall smart scale 2020. If you are looking to lose weight, willpower certainly is key, but so is having the right tools. Withings smart scales are known for durability and an exceptional user-friendly design. Step on, and data from every weigh-in syncs automatically to the free app for iOS or Android via Wi-Fi or 
Bluetooth. Lots of smart scales don't have the Wi-Fi option, which means you need to have your phone on you. But Withings Body Plus gives weight, full body composition, weight trend, even a local weather report. The scale can support up to eight users and even know who's who. So here's the deal. You can get 25% off a Withings Body Plus right now at withings.com slash MLB for a very limited time. Go to withings.com slash MLB, W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com slash MLB to get 25% off Body Plus Body Composition Scale. That's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com slash MLB to get 25% off Body Plus Body Composition Scale. Back to the 1999 Seattle Mariners season, we left off just after the Kingdom closed its doors to Mariners fans on June 27th. After that final game at that charming old dump, the Mariners went on a road trip prior to the All-Star break. The M's were on a four-game slide going into the final game of the first half at Dodger Stadium. Jeff Acero started and again just didn't have it. After two very good seasons as a front-end starting pitcher, Ficero fell off the face of the earth in 99. He lasted a mere three-plus innings in this start, surrendering six runs, five of them earned, walking three and allowing seven hits. Gilmesh didn't fare much better in his one-and-two-thirds innings, and he was relieved by Frankie Rodriguez, who decided to spice things up in the sixth inning. After giving up three more runs in that inning to give the Dodgers a 12-3 lead, Rodriguez threw an inside pitch to shortstop Mark Gredzelonik, challenged him to come out to the mound, cursed at him. Gredzelonik thought about it a little bit, but was intercepted by catcher Dan Wilson as the benches and bullpens emptied. M's pitching coach Stan Williams got into it with some Dodgers. Hotheads Raul Mondesi and David Segui sparred, looked more like a wrestling match. Jamie Moyer smothered someone to prevent them from fighting. Mariners reliever Damaso Marte got in a cheap shot on Dodger catcher Todd Huntley. Jose Paniagua also got in a cheap shot. Seven people were ejected for taking part in the brawl. For the Mariners, Damaso Marte, Jose Mesa, Jose Paniagua, and Jay Buhner, who wasn't even on the roster, but who had made the trip with the team. For the Dodgers, Pedro Borbon, Todd Huntley, and coach Rick Dempsey. Dempsey was suspended 17 games for his role in the fight. Interestingly, Frankie Rodriguez was not ejected, although he should have been, for egging Gretzelonic and the Dodgers on. It was a pretty good scuffle, the Mariners' second of the season. The Mariners and Angels had gotten into it in mid-April after Todd Green charged the mound against Brent Hinchliffe after being hit with an errant pitch. At the All-Star break, the Mariners were 42-45 and and again, pretty much out of contention. Ken Griffey Jr. was the Mariners' lone All-Star in Fenway Park, though he won his second consecutive home run derby and third overall. Prior to the game itself, there was an amazing on-field presentation. Dozens of living baseball legends gathered on the infield at Fenway Park to be introduced to the crowd as all-century players. These greats were among those fans could vote for to form the Major League Baseball all-century team. The all-star rosters were then introduced to the crowd, and to cap everything off... Red Sox legend Ted Williams was driven out onto the field in a golf cart and all the All-Stars gathered around him to listen to what he was saying or just to be near him. The public address announcer had to ask the players to return to their dugouts, which everyone promptly ignored. 
However, shortly thereafter, everyone cleared and stood behind the pitcher's mound as Ted Williams delivered the game's first pitch, being held up by the late Tony Gwynn, who was arguably the purest hitter in the game at that time. It was an absolutely incredible scene, which still gives me chills when I think about it or re-watch my VHS recording of the game. The first game after the All-Star break was the Mariners' very first game in their brand new home, Safeco Field. There was an on-field presentation prior to this game, a new set of player introductions, and Dave Niehaus was selected to throw out the ceremonial first pitch, which no one knew about until it was announced. Mr. Niehaus didn't even know about it until a few seconds prior to the announcement when he was handed a baseball and told that he was the mystery pitcher. In addition, Jay Buhner was finally able to come off the disabled list and started for the M's in right field. Jamie Moyer was the starting pitcher for the Mariners against the San Diego Padres. His first pitch to Padres leadoff hitter, second baseman Kilvio Veras, caught the strike zone for a called strike. Veras grounded out on the next pitch. The game was scoreless after two innings. In the top of the third, Phil Nevin hit a ground ball single to score Veras for Seiko Field's very first run. Moyer went eight innings, giving up that lone run, one walk, seven hits. Amazingly, he struck out nine, which was not his modus operandi. That one-run lead would hold until the bottom of the eighth. Dan Wilson hit a two-out double, which was followed by a David Bell double to score Willie to tie the game. David Segui then doubled in Bell to give the M's a 2-1 lead, which they take into the top of the ninth. Pinella brought in his closer, Jose Mesa, who had a very inconsistent season. And, of course, true to form, he walked the bases loaded before recording an out. After former Mariner Dave Magadan struck out for the first out, Kilvio Veras came up with the bases still loaded and drew a walk of his own, forcing in the tying run as the crowd roundly booed Mesa. Pinella had also seen enough and brought in Paul Abbott to face Eric Owens. He did induce a flyout, but it turned out to be a sacrifice fly to score John Vanderwall for a 3-2 Padres lead. Abbott then got Reggie Sanders to ground out to shortstop to end the inning. In the bottom of the ninth, the Mariners went quietly against Dan Maselli, and the first game in Safeco Field history ended with a heartbreaking loss. But honestly, a predictable one considering Jose Mesa was involved. They'd lose the next one as well, 2-1, to one, but won the third one with a 9-1 to one score. Also in that third game, the first home run in Safeco Field history was hit by M's third baseman, Russ Davis. Davis had another down year with the bat and glove. John Mabry started a lot of games at third base once his bat picked up, and towards the end of the season, wanting steady defense, Lou Pinella started Charles Gibson at third base most of the time. And while Gibson is one of my all-time favorite Mariners, he was admittedly a very weak hitter, but a versatile defender who could play third, short, second, and all three outfield positions. He also had an excellent throwing arm and was maybe the fastest runner on the M's team at the time, although Brian L. Hunter may have given him a run for his money. I would have loved to see those two in a foot race. Butch Husky was traded near the deadline to the Red Sox for local pitcher Robert Ramsey, who'd make his Major League debut a month later amid ongoing pitching problems. Two days after Husky's departure, David Segui, who was not a favorite amongst the Mariners' brass for comments made about the Randy Johnson trade the year before and for being a general nuisance, was shipped off to the Blue Jays for pitchers Tom Davey and Steve Sinclair, both of whom were immediately put on the big league roster. 
July ended at 50 and 53, but the M's had won three in a row to close out the month. That streak would continue into August, ending after six victories. Unfortunately, the M's remained inconsistent, and those six wins were followed by five losses. The M's were as streaky as ever in August, but ended the month exactly at 500, at 66 and 66. The M's had also seen enough of Jeff Vicero, who was waived late in the month, cleared waivers, and then was traded to the Texas Rangers for a player to be named later, who wound up being an insignificant minor leaguer. Also at the end of August, the Mariners signed Mike Blowers, who had spent most of the season in Japan with the Hanshin Tigers. This was Blowers' third stint with the Mariners, and these would be his final Major League Baseball games. The M's inconsistent play continued through September, and the three games scheduled in October, with the season ending in Oakland with a 3-1 loss and a 79-83 record. After the season, Ken Griffey Jr. demanded to be traded, prompting general manager Woody Woodward to resign because he did not want to be known as the man who traded Jr. Instead, he's known as the man who traded Jason Veritek and Derek Lowe for Heathcliff Slocum. But in fairness, he did pull off some very good deals, including acquiring Jamie Moyer for Darren Bragg, acquiring David Bell for Joey Cora, who was at the end of his big league career, and the Randy Johnson trade, which netted the Mariners three productive players, two of whom were very productive. Pat Gillick, who led the Toronto Blue Jays to back-to-back World Series victories in the early 90s, was named as Woodward's successor. Gillick would sign some key free agents and make some other good deals to build a very solid roster for the 2000 season and beyond. That's the show for today. We're going to be dark tomorrow, but we'll be back on Thursday to talk about 1997, the Mariners' second American League Western Division title. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this program on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or whichever podcasting app that you care to name. Follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners, and follow me on Twitter also at DC underscore Lundberg. Thank you for listening to this look back at the Kingdom's final season and Safeco Field's first. I hope you enjoyed it. Join us back here on Thursday for our look back at the 1997 Seattle Mariners. Until then, have a great evening. This is Joey Martin speaking for Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Ask your smart device to play Locked On MLB upon the conclusion of this program.